This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trab. Welcome to the TriTag Games Podcast, your only podcast of international exploration, supernatural agents against the supernatural, and all kinds of crazy alternate universes. This week, we are very much honored to have a world-famous RPG writer, Jess Hartley with us, and she's going to join us for an in-depth discussion about how gender roles can be really awesome in your game. Jess, are you there? I am. Hi, guys. Welcome, Jess, to the TriTag Games podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Jess, I'm mostly GM. I actually very rarely get to play, and I play female characters all the time. And because I mostly play with male groups, I usually don't worry too much about misrepresenting female characters because we're just a bunch of guys. And I'm perfectly willing uh, in a tabletop situation to go all the way to the mat with another character. I notice that it really comes down to two things. One is what the other character wants to do as far as how far do they want to take the role playing and and how important is it to their character. And secondly, the other members of the table. Uh, There have been some looks of horror come over some other members of the table and some quick bathroom breaks when things have gotten a little bit too descriptive in some of the role playing. I'd say that's more of a limiter than anything else as far as my table is concerned. I have to say that in our games, there actually is a very strict limit on going to the mat. We do the old Victorian method and say, and we uh, go off for a load your loot, and now you're back. That's about as far as anyone would get. That was funny, because that was the next part of the question. Did heterosexual male playing the female ever have the character engage sexual relations with a male partner? It was funny, because <laughs> the one guy who tried to play females in my group and didn't always wanted to do romantic subplots, and we're just like, <laughs> No, no, we're good, really. No, no, my character's single. Just looking at this guy and going, no, we don't want to, no. Yeah. I mean, the guy, guy's a friend of mine. I've known him for over 20 years, but I'm just like, we're we're all just like, it was almost like we'd all be assigned going, you going to do it? No, I'm not doing it. And do things like give it to the new guy in the group. Be like, yeah, you get to play this character. <laughs> what do you mean I'm engaged to this character? Yeah. Right. So there's a certain level of suspension of disbelief that you, you don't go into. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's funny in our gaming group uh my my uh, the game master we we have he put together these rules and i, I he probably adapted them from somewhere else but he put together these rules for sexual encounters basically like a combat system so you you had initiative and then you did your maneuver and you know god skill checks yeah skill checks blah 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 it's he had merits Make your stamina roll. <laughs> oh, God. But he had all this stuff. He went into all this stuff with the rules. And I basically told him, I was like, look, I'm not doing that with you guys. I mean, I was like, it's a bunch of guys sitting at a table. That does cross my boundaries. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and see that part of your social contract is that's not what you were gaming that no. for. You know, if you were playing a game 
for example, that kind of thing comes up a lot in things like Masquerade or Werewolf or that sort of thing. And a lot of the World of Darkness stuff deals a lot with interpersonal communications and interpersonal relationships, either from a power over aspect or from a cooperation aspect. Or you get uh, the representation of interpersonal relationships through things like the blood bond, which can be a really strong portrayal in, in games like Sabbat and things like that with the Valdery. So, I mean, it really depends upon what game you're playing. If you're playing D&D and you're going on dungeon crawls and then one player starts wanting to do a romantic subplot, cross-gender or no, that detracts from everybody else's whacking goblins time, then that's, you know, outside of the social contract for that gaming. You know, that's I'm fine with. The, the social portions of that, the, the social implications of all that, I'm fine with playing with that. No, this stuff was graphic. This was actual stuff... Like in the bedroom stuff. There's an actual uh, supplement for that on, available on RPG Now. He might have gotten it from there, but it was basically hentai stuff, is what I'm saying. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that with you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm blinking at my screen now, Blix. I'm just I'm blinking at the screen. I got nothing. That's that's what I was doing when he was telling me that this was part of this was going to be part of our newest campaign, and I was blinking at him like, what? No, That's Blake's definitely a social contract issue where you say, no, this is, this is how like, far we're willing to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not willing to go there. <laughs> not with, not with you guys. You were like, our, why is there a mouse in your pocket? Because I'm not part of this group. That's what's happening. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So we, we pretty much, I felt bad because he did a lot of work for it, but he didn't approach us ahead of time. So I didn't feel that bad. You know? Well, and it sounds yeah. like he didn't really know the gamers involved either, at least in terms of what they were looking for, where their comfort levels were. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I do that with my my personal life, and that that's cool. I'm good with that. That's not what I come to the game table for. I come to the game table to smack a goblin in the head with a sword and maybe have a conversation or two, you know. But yeah, that, no, no, I'm not, no. And in a group where that's what everyone's interested in, then, you know, more power to them. Let them have good fun. But oh, uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, no, you really have to understand what your group is looking for. Yeah, I'm not knocking it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if, if your group is into that, hey, more power to you. That, that's what it's all about. I don't want to, people to get the wrong idea. In our groups, our characters do have relationships. We've gotten to the point where it's like, last night you had a good night with her. But nothing graphic. But nothing graphic. That's it. That's how it rolls. And we, we roll for it. Fade to black. We will make seduction rolls to see how well we did or, or stuff like that. But that's really all just a social thing. We don't get into, and you did this, and she did that. It was just, you two had a good time. Or, she had a good time, and you didn't. Or, you had a good time, and she was bored. You know? Well, yeah, like in <laughs> my group, my Friday night group, my 10-year-old nephew is there. Can't go mm. in my Saturday night group. My 17-year-old daughter's there. Can't go there. So it's like, for me, that's just a given. Hey, Trav, what's with your hang-ups, man? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no sexy cloud. No sexy cloud. And, and, and just the thing about you blinking at the screen, we call that, on my show, we call that, I just threw up in my soul. Yeah. <laughs> and if Jay was here, he would say, and my head just exploded again. <laughs> Or, or he would say, and that's when I stopped drinking. <laughs> All that's right. When I started drinking. All right. All right. Well, the, just, stop sniffing glue. Yeah. Right. So, Jess. Yes. Do you game master much? Do you do you do much of that, or? Um, only at convention games when I'm running, you know, demoing stuff and that sort of thing. 
Okay. This could be in for games that you've noticed or you've played in and somebody else has been game mastering. Do you ever notice the female villains getting treated differently? You know, and I don't mean this is that that they are different. I mean, but the male gamers at the table or anyone, actually anyone at the table, it's, fair, it's a fair question. It's open to anyone. Do you ever see female villains getting treated differently than a male villain would be? I think it depends upon the characters more than the players, really. If you're playing a character who's a paladin and you've got a female villain who's playing the pretending to be an innocent maiden or if he's got some sort of a code of honor that affects him from hurting women or or that sort of thing. But I think that for the most part, if you've got a villain that, I don't know, whether she's a gangster, that you've got a, a well-portrayed female villain, she's going to get treated very similar to a male villain. The only exception that I've run across is that I find that, especially in LARP settings, because, well, it allows for a lot more personal one-on-one interaction, mm-hmm. that a covertly villainous female stands a much higher chance of infiltration or being able to socially maneuver herself into a situation than a covertly villainous male. But I think that has something to do with just the fact that people tend to see female characters as more social. And maybe that has something to do with the minority aspect of female characters compared to to male because even in a LARP setting where you've got pretty similar numbers, chances are you have more male characters than female characters. I don't know. But I haven't seen with the exception of like the paladin-y kind of code of honor kind of aspect, I haven't seen a lot of difference, like people being afraid to pull a death blow on a female villain or something. When I wrote the question, proofreading these questions, it came back to me, I was like, but you know who the greatest female villain of all gaming time was Lolf. Because oh yeah, she was just bad to the bone, and she was the female villain. I guess because she's half spider or whatever. You know, she's the female villain that everybody's just like, oh no no, we're gonna kill her. I mean, that's no you know, there's no question about that. I mean, <laughs> half spider must die. Other than that, I, I see what you're saying. If a female villain wants to be covert or, or play on her charms. She's generally a little easier to get away with it than males, but only because people give that to her. The other players give it to her. And she doesn't yes. have that power just all on her own. She has it because they allow her to have it. Yes. Yeah. What do you think – and this could be a male or female GM, but generally male. What do you think the worst mistake they can make is playing a female villain? I honestly think it's the same mistake that they make when playing a male villain, and that's making it two-dimensional or evil for evil's sake. Mm-hmm. My firm belief is that a good villain is the hero in their own mind. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Though we did talk about certain villains like Ming the Merciless. He's a villain. He's evil. That's all you need to know about Ming. John, no, that's not true. We went into that a little bit. Remember? Yeah. We were talking about it. And, and I was reading some of the retcon stuff that was written about Because he was written in a time when writing was two-dimensional. Yeah. The, the writers were two-dimensional, m- much less mm-hmm. the characters. So they were flat? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're actually made out of paper. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I love me some Edgar Rice Burroughs. I do. But he is as flat as a piece of paper can be. Yeah. I have seen some things where Ming the Merciless... If you look at it from his point of view, he's actually not a bad guy. Yeah. He's taking control of an area that was chaotic, and that's how he did it. And he thought he was doing the right thing. like Just like Anakin Skywalker. He's Anakin Skywalker. He's the same thing. He's he's Darth Vader. You know, yeah. He's he's yeah. bringing order by – you know, because order is better than chaos, right? Yep. 
But yeah. in order to get order, sometimes you have to use a strong fist, and you know, it's just that these people don't know what's good for them. But yeah, I think I think you're right, Jess. A two dimensional villain, regardless of gender, race, whatever, is probably the worst thing you can do. I answered right. Yay. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. <laughs> I get an A. Everyone gets a star. Yeah. Jess, you got a you got an A just for showing up. <laughs> It's one of those progressive schools where everyone gets an A and everyone gets a star. No, not you, John. You're fired. Right, yeah, okay. you're out. <laughs> <laughs> Hang up. Uh, Don't you realize we've already replaced you, John? <laughs> uh, so do you want to move on to the, the fringe-worthy stuff? Yes. Yeah, I think we yeah we can go there now. All right, Trav, you got a copy of the questions. Go ahead. All right. Fringe-worthy is a game of interdimensional travel between alternate Earths. If you were going to play a character in Fringeworthy, would you be willing to play a female before you answer? You know full well that you would stand the chance of traveling to a world where women are slaves or second-class citizens, and you may be required to play along to complete the mission. In other words, would you accept that gender role of having to be subservient or walk behind three paces of the males or whatever? Would you be willing to actually step into that for the sake of the adventure? Sure. Would you be willing to play a male, realizing that that same situation may come about from a female-dominated society? Funny you mention that, because actually I tried writing a comic book years ago, and one of the synopses was the characters went to that type of future society where women were running things with an iron fist, and men were made to be like that. Wait, we don't even have to go there. Look, let's look at history, okay? England has had a, a history of female rulers. Not predominantly, but they've had plenty. I just came back from London. I loved it. So nothing wrong to our English fans. But England has done some dirty stuff. And, and America's no different. We've done some dirty stuff, too. So I'm not singling anybody out. But to be completely, you know, truthful and honest, England has done some dirty stuff when it comes to politics. And there have been some women at the throne or at the prime minister level when that occurred. So they had to be the ones making that decision. But I don't think that you can say because a society has a female figurehead, if it's still a patriarchal-based society and the predominant of political and economic power is in the hands of a patriarchal system, I don't think you can say that that represents a matriarchal it's still a patriarchy with with, with mom in charge all i'm saying is (laughs) all i'm saying is is that just because a woman is in charge no one should assume that it's going to be a more peaceful society or that it's going to be any different than men running it because it can be just the same oh no see when i made that adventure when i made that that story arc it was a matriarchal society because it was a violent uprising on the part of the women in the society. And they just, they just went totally radical, outdid the men as far. And it was darn near gender-based genocide. Okay. I mean, talking, that was the basis for their society in the far future. That's why I had brought up that point. And right. when Jess answered... I had said, oh, yeah, well, I wrote that. And it was. It was because it was a very radical change. It was not like peaceful Iroquois where the women were running the government and the men were just the soldiers. So So my question is, is would you guys as male players playing male characters be willing to play in a gaming chronicle where you realized that there was a chance that your characters would be put into a position where for the mission – they would be required to be 
and in a non-sexualized, non-fantasy way, but an actual subservient, lesser class society, lesser caste aspect, would you be willing to take on that risk in playing the, the game? And do you think that you could still have fun with that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. So why I, do you think in fact, in fact, I have. that I might not? Oh, no, no. I was just asking if you did. I, I didn't think that you would or wouldn't. I just I was just asking if you would or if you have. Yeah. No, that's interesting. No, absolutely. No, I, I wouldn't mind at all. As a matter of fact, I would accept it as a really good challenge. I prefer having challenges as a character. Yes. To me, it would be fun because I would take the character that I've created and, you know, the history I've generated with him and have to say, okay, how does this guy going to handle this? You know, cause it's not just a matter of – it's not about how I'm going to handle it. I always look at everything. I filter it through the character. How does this character going to handle it? So it would be more fun to ask or what's more interesting to ask is could I play that character doing that role? So if I made up a really masculine character, I'd be like, man, that's, it's not difficult for me to do it. It's going to be difficult yes. for me to do it with this guy because this yes. guy is going to have a hard time with it. So then I have to have a hard time with it because I'm playing him. So yeah, I guess it would depend on the character I'm playing, really, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter. It would be fun any way you slice it, because I, I can imagine how much fun it would be to be playing this super masculine guy who's put in this position, how fun it would be you know, playing him and being like, yes, mistress, I will do what you ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, you must do it in the Kirk voice. Right, right. But that, that's him fighting through the, no, I want to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that that would actually be very interesting. It'd be even more interesting if the character was opposed to it rather than me being opposed yeah. to it. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, you look at like the um, I can't remember the name of not Sigourney Weaver's character, but the other character in Aliens, the the really strong female Marine oh, Rodriguez. Um, oh, Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Oh, Rodriguez. Yes. Yes. Who's, so you who's, picture a character like that, like if you're playing a character like that, which is one of the stereotypes of how a female who was going out into those kind of missions might mm -hmm. be, like it would be really interesting and challenging to see while I could say, oh yeah, sure, I could play that. I'm an actor. I can play that role for the sake of the mission. How would somebody who it, to whom it might be very challenging? Yeah. Aspect, you know, how how would they deal with that? Which would be really interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's like asking the question: Can you impersonate this person or this accent or this type of person? Sure. Now, can you impersonate this type of person impersonating that type of person? Like, can you impersonate yes. an English guy impersonating an American? It's like yes. wow. And then you have to like really stretch your head and think, okay, it's. And how would they feel about impersonating that person? Right, right. So, so yeah, that's that's the bigger question, and that's that's the question that role players are always asked. But maybe they not they don't realize it. You know, a lot of times they're not asked to play this character; they're asked to play this character playing a, uh, another character. Well, I think that the heart of the question is if you play a character who in that society is considered second class or of a lower social level than the other player characters in that particular venture. Does that trivialize your character? And I think that's one of the reasons that people are people are afraid of that. And so that's one reason why they say, no, no, we mm -hmm. need to change it so that everybody is equal. On an ongoing basis, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a chronicle long <coughs> aspect, and I know that every situation that we encounter, my character will have 
no political power. If I'm inherently playing a cobbled character in a significant way for the entirety of the Chronicle, that might not be so fun. I agree. And I think at that point, that's a failure of the GM because I know from working in business and in other things that there is informal networks, that there is never a situation of no power. If you have a group that's downtrodden, within that group, there is power levels. And therefore, if you're a woman, for example, playing in a society that's patriarchal, it does not mean that amongst the company of women that you're not going to have situations where you can strive for dominance. You might not open up an opportunity for informal information gathering, which would not be available to the big, important person who all everyone's eyes are going to be upon. So the GM should bring these opportunities out to say, no, you are considered lesser in the eyes of society, but that just makes you more effective in doing some of, uh, of the roles that are available in this particular mission. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. kind of like the politics within the harem kind of thing. can be That's very, very... Very, very useful. That's one example, yes. The Invisible Man from a lot of literature where the guy who empties the trash can, the guy who holds the horse of the king while the king is having a discussion with his chief advisor, that person is in a position to gain information that the most stalwart of knights may never hear. Interesting. Never really thought of that concept of the invisible guy where, you know, the servants know everything. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, the gender in the breakfast club. Yeah, who hears about what the principal does and all that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. The most blatant example of that is the secret rendezvous between a noble woman and a noble man, which totally ignores the fact that as a noble woman, she's going to have, you know, a dresser. (laughs) She's going to have groom to hold the horses. And the same for the other side. He's there. He's going to need someone to lay out the food, someone to make the food for the repast. Someone to guard the door, someone to, yeah. There is no shortage of people who are involved in the situation that seem to be invisibly off camera, but in fact are really truly there. It's only their own sense of propriety that might keep them from passing the information on. Right. Actually, Beauty and the Beast had a whole lot of behind-the-scenes tete-a-tete between the various uh, inhabitants of the Beast Castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the servants. Yeah, Lumiere and and, uh, Mrs. Pottsworth or Mrs. Potts, whatever her name was. Right. So you came into this world and you got transformed into a a coat rack while everybody else got transformed into villagers or whatever. It doesn't mean that the coat rack's got nothing to do. There, the coat rack would be animated walking around going, your coat, I want to take your coat. Stop, move. Give me your coat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that depends In a role-playing game setting, it really depends upon the storyteller. If you're playing in an exalted campaign where the idea is that the main PCs are powerful enough that they could wipe out an entire army of peasants and everybody else in the campaign is playing exalted and you're playing a peasant, you may have a difficult time unless the storyteller is really willing to go with the idea that you could be useful and you could do something other than become a grease stain when another exalted looks at you wrong. I know in our gaming group, yeah. we've done some experiments where we use different systems like uh, inspectors and a few others. And we decide, let's play James Bond, but no one's going to play James Bond. We're going to play Q. We're going to play the yes. guy. Yeah, we're going to play, we're gonna play everyone. Awesome. That, 
play everyone who works around him. We decided to split in two of them. We actually go, one's going to be Q and one's going to be Smirsh. We sort of did it that way. But James Bond was the character everyone could actually do something to, bad guys or good guys. So it, it actually came out pretty dang good. We actually did a fairly, it would be a fairly typical James Bond movie. <laughs> We did that one time. We played the Robotech saga, but we played as the not the Veritex, but the other guys, the Destoid pilots. We actually played a campaign where we were the Destoid pilots on all of the adventures, and we worked it in so that you know we always had something to do. Like our adventure revolved around us, and it was very exciting. But you know, in the grand scheme of the story in, in Robotech, it wouldn't have been exciting, but to us it was. So it really depends on um, the angle you take. Yeah, there are gaming systems out there where they actually suggest no one actually plays the hero. You play his sidekicks. And the hero's actions is determined by the sidekick who's got the talking stick at the time. Or by group agreement. So they do tend to be pulpish. Like Doc Savage. No one plays Doc Savage. You play Monk. You play Ham. You play Rennie. You play Long Tom. Yes, I'm a Doc Savage fan. (laughs) All those characters. But you don't play Doc Savage. Well, Doc Savage is no fun because he never does anything wrong. That's something about a lot of established game settings. We're talking like, let's say if there was a Matrix role-playing game. Let's face it, everybody wants to play Neo. Trinity, totally Trinity. You want to play the iconic characters. You don't want to play the guy over on another hovercraft who happens to be the main gunner. No, you want to play one of the big boys. I think that's a matter of powers. Powers are cool. And if I'm playing in a game like that, where uh, one of the cool aspects is you can hack the Matrix and get those cool powers, then no, I don't want to be a helicopter gunner in that world where the cool people are above and beyond. And I know that there are people who love to play humans in the world of darkness, but I really don't. I want to play something that's got powers, you know? Yeah. It's just my thing. (laughs) You don't want to always be struggling with everything that you do. You actually want to be able to, to do something. You want to be able to contribute to the adventure. You know, you don't have to be the most powerful guy, which right. is exactly why I chose playing a Geist. Mm-hmm. Because they have their abilities and they're pretty cool and everything. You know, they're not like your powerhouse. Right. They are cool and they have their place. And that's yes. why I was just like, that's what would turn me on to them. was like, now these guys are really slick. I mean, they're, they're, they're actually deceivingly nasty in their own way. Yeah. Well, and they've got they've got a lot of uh, cool factor to them. I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. lot of flavor and that sort of thing to the characters. If I was playing back in the Matrix world and I could play the Oracle. Yes. If I could play the Oracle. Oh, yeah, because she was cool. It wasn't so much the powerful aspect, but, you know, she was something that was not just your average human trying to deal with all of the other stuff, unless that's the point of the game. You know, I mean, there are definitely some games like in my life with Master where you're playing the minion and not the cool guy. And that's the point of the game. It's that's why it's there. My favorite character from Matrix is the Merovingian. Oh, yeah. I think he is the bomb. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 That's like me liking to play a dragon NPC because it's just he's cool. He's slick. He's powerful. You know that you're the PCs can't touch him. Yet he's an intrinsic part of the story, and you just like playing him because you know you can get away with pretty much anything until a certain point. Because when, you know, Trinity yeah. came down and all the guns were flying in the air, and she grabbed the one and had it right at his head, okay, it was no longer really cool to play the Merovingian. You know, at that point, <laughs> <laughs> his time was done. 
but by the same token, you know, kind of going back to the gender aspect, if you're playing in a game, and I talked with people who are playing in games, or, or there are games where you can only play this type of character if you're playing a female character. Because it comes with these kinds of backgrounds and that sort of thing. If those things are inherently going to stop you from being involved in the story that the group as a whole is exploring and the quests that they're doing, if it's inherently going to pull, put you in the harem instead of out on the Alibaba's adventure, then unless the rest of the game is going to be somehow affected by what's going on in the harem, then that may be a situation where the hand-waving is more appropriate and you may be the one lone female bandit out of the hundred thieves or something. It's no fun to be not part of the story. No. Disney heroines. So White, she just reacted. The latest heroine, Rapunzel, was very reactive. She was agitated in that movie. Yeah, she was the driving force behind the quest here and I want to see these things. And if you get in my way, I'm just going to go around you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jess, since you're talking about characters that you like playing, uh, let's bring it back around to Fringeworthy again. So you've checked out the game somewhat. You've never played the game. So if you were playing the game for the very first time, and you could play any possible person on the world, any, any role, whatever, and then you got thrown into this situation where you're now going to be in IDED, going to alien worlds that could be of any kind, what kind of missions would you like to be assigned to? We have infiltration, rescue, bug hunts, high-level diplomacy, first contact. You know, what really galvanizes you? If it was just me and I got to, like, set out, like, this is what everybody's going to have fun doing, I really love doing first contact anthropology kind of stuff because I'm fascinated by well-developed alien cultures and alien races, whether those are non-humanoid or humanoid species. That's always my favorite part, like space operas and, and that sort of thing, is getting to find out what the putty heads are like and why they're that way and what that says about our society and their society and how it got to be that way. Um, as you can tell when we were talking about like matriarchal versus patriarchal societies and you know whether something is matriarchal patriarchal doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't have developed certain traits and that kind of thing so i would i would really love to play in something where basically the goal of the mission was just to do first contact after first contact and categorize categorize and understand these new cultures but that's really taxing for a gm because they're having to constantly develop if the player's goal is to discover all those things about the culture that means they can't just say well these looks like dragons and they the women rule the society because the characters themselves are going to be saying well why and what's the history and how did they get to be like that and why did they deviate from this other race that started out similarly and developed in an entirely different direction. So that's a lot of work for a storyteller. The the group that generally tends to play fringe where they are audience generally tends to be of a highbrow or type. Yeah. Type group. It doesn't generally cater to the uh, least common denominator player. 
Uh, Fringeworthy is not about combat. Combat is this thing that happens because diplomacy falls apart. And uh, honestly, that's that's why I like Fringeworthy so much, and that's why it's been part of our games for ever since we started playing. You don't know this, but with our group, once we discovered Fringeworthy back in the late 80s, early 90s, Fringeworthy has been a part of our games forever, no matter what we're playing. Because there's there's a portal. You can always find the portal. When you get tired of playing whatever game it is you're playing, we find a portal and we go to another world and we transfer our characters and we go on these these grand adventures on interdimensional. And we've done it with White Wolf. We've done it with Cyberpunk. We've done it with everything. How fun. But it, it's fun because you keep get to play the characters. Once it starts to get tired, it's no longer tired because then you enter this whole new thing and you can go anywhere. Our group is not all about combat and such. So Fringeworthy lends to that crowd that likes to think way beyond just rolling dice so that we've had nights where we don't roll any dice. We, we don't roll a single die the whole night and we're completely fine with that. You know, we'll, we'll get up from the table and say, wow, we didn't even use our dice tonight and everybody's cool with it because we spent the whole night talking, but we've stayed in character and we, we've done all the, the social interactions and it's a completely satisfying night. Whereas some groups I've talked with would not fit that bill. What do you mean you didn't roll any dice? You didn't, you didn't kill anything? Well, no, no, no. Well, weren't you bored? No, it was actually very exciting. It was actually very, very, uh, very engaging. So uh, Fringeworthy tends to lead to that crowd. Not always, of course. I'm sure there are crowds out there that use the portals to, you know, rape and pillage other worlds. There are bug hunts. Yeah, there are bug hunts. I can envision just from, you know, what you guys have told me and what I've uh, researched about the game system can you imagine playing a group of people who are fringe worthy but they're basically just pirates yes and they go from one dimensional area to another taking whatever is valuable there and sneaking out with it to to the next realm when we were playing cyberpunk we went to fringe worthy from cyberpunk that was our group oh nice because that's the cyberpunk mentality yeah so yeah. all of our cyberpunk characters we got on the fringe path and we were like Hey, this is great. You know, we just we were rape and pillage all the way. Um, <laughs> but our other groups aren't like that. You know, if we start from a different world, of course, it's our characters are you know have a different concept base. But yeah, it, it can be that way. One of the things in Fringe really sometimes first contact is not with an alien race; it's with a ancient human race. You get to meet the Sumerians and find out how wrong we were or how right we were with our summations about them. At least is how the 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 game master's concerned, right? Yeah. It's funny that you should say first contact. Just I mean that really lays out what kind of gamer you are because first contact is the hardest group to play yeah. because yeah. first contact has to deal with being as as flexible as a group can be and being. Oh yeah. Thinking on your feet takes on a whole new meeting. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. if you're an assault team or a bug hunt team, you know what your job is. Go in and kill everything. I guess the first investigation teams, because there is a team that goes before first contact. There's a team that goes and does the investigation. The scouting team. The scouting team. And they make sure that the world has a breathable atmosphere and that to, to see what kind of people are living there, but they don't make contact at all. They just go there, see what the situation is, and come back. And then the first contact team goes and actually makes contact with the society. The first contact team is actually the most dangerous team out there. They have to deal with the greatest number of unknowns. Yes. That's actually interesting that you would choose that because that's the most difficult. That's very courageous of you, Jess. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we what admire that. I'm, yeah. a, oh, yeah. I'm all about oh, rolling yeah. up new characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, got a, she's got a stack of them next to her going, Seriously. just pull out another one. I can do this yeah, all day. Yeah. 
I used to call that trail breakers. They're the ones breaking trail. Yeah. That's always the hard thing to do. Of course, that's where Savage well, World is going to come in handy. Because Savage World has more of a survivability factor. Well, just before you go on any of these first contact missions, you might be advised to uh, listen to our podcast where we were on the topic of uh, uh, surviving first contact. (laughs) The Gutter Skypes, which is an actual play podcast, they did uh, five episodes of Fringeworthy. If the last two episodes don't curl your toes, they haven't done their job. (laughs) Nice. The final question that we have written down, at least... How would your characters deal with marriage, pregnancy, Uh, especially, for example, if you got married to somebody on another world? Would you give up being an explorer? Would you take your children onto the fringe pass, considering the children of most uh, fringeworthy females are almost always fringeworthy as well? Would you leave them to childcare and go off exploring, you know, uh, just as business as usual? Uncle Slarg's childcare. We take care of children for you. Yes. Does he bite? (laughs) Is he bite? He yes. bites. I leave yes. him alone. Oh no, no, I can't touch him. It's all bites. Can't touch him. Can't touch him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really impossible to answer that, not knowing what kind of a character I'd be playing. Because I'm a firm believer that there's a thousand different character types to play. So I would say you'd have to kind of leave that one to the domain of you know whatever character and their personality type. I would like to think that a society that's developed these kinds of things and and these kinds of abilities would have, you know, probably developed good, reliable birth control, which means that, you know, you wouldn't have to make the choice between, you know, unexpected pregnancy and having to leave your adventuring career behind. You know, we are kind of an advanced society for that sort of thing. So I would like to think that it wouldn't uh, be a necessary aspect. And again, I think as a player, whether those issues even come up or not really depends upon the social contract of the game that's involved. I would be kind of resentful if a storyteller picked my character out as a female character and was, you know, threw in unexpected pregnancy or or that kind of thing as a, a major character aspect without checking out like what the social contracts for the entire rest of the group was in terms of dealing with those kinds of issues. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, cuz oh, like, yeah. cuz like the same question can be asked of right. a guy, you know, would you leave your child behind if you were you would you go out adventuring and leave a string of spawn throughout the various and sundry fringe-worthy worlds? Well, I'm a little bit of a new father. My daughter's two and a half years old. And I can tell you right now, I couldn't leave for like six or eight months in a clip. Not not by my own volition, if unless I didn't have a choice. I, I wouldn't want to leave her. I, I like seeing her every day. One of the NPCs in the game, Viscount uh, Greystone, is married and has three kids, and he's out there gallivanting around for the Victorians. But he does it a uh, sense of duty to queen and country rather than anything else. But he's also a good Englishman, which, you know, they had the whole duty before anything kind of mentality. Right, That's right. true. Yeah. I had the experience where I had a player who got involved with a, a villager on a one world that was coming out of chaos, and uh, he actually got married to her, and then they had a, uh, I said, okay, and your uh, wife is pregnant, and he said, okay, and he made sure that she had a nice hut and stuff like that, and then I said, okay, well, the mission's over, you've been successful, time to go back to IDET, and he says, I'm not going. 
I said, what do you, and I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, I'm not leaving my wife behind. She's not fringeworthy. She can't come. He says, I'll go back to IDET, but I'm going back to her to spend the rest of my money I've been saving on supplies. And I'm going to come back and, you know, make sure this, this village has a, a good well and, and our house has, you know, good supplies and medical care. And I'm going to raise this village up into a real society. So I guess and I better get going. another character yeah, for my, I've been, but you know what? That's a good player, Bruce. That's an excellent player. I was very impressed. I mean, I, I had never, up to that point, and I had been playing the game a long time, ever had someone actually do that. And so I was very impressed with him, and I said, well, good job. That's admirable behavior. And you're a good GM for not killing her with a piano from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, now I guess you can come back on the mission. <laughs> By a fire. Wait a minute. Hold it. Yeah. 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 I think this brings up a good point. It's a little off topic. Well, actually, it's completely off topic, but whatever. <laughs> and that stopped us? No, it's never stopped us. Hey, look, squirrel. Where? <laughs> there was a game. I can't remember the game, but it was a game where you played a samurai. I think it was Bushido. I think it was the name of the game. If your character died doing something that was in character and was honorable, right? right. You got these karma points for making up your next character. So basically, it was a way to... Give up your character by doing something that your character should be doing, but your next character got extra points so that you weren't behind everybody else because you did what your character should do. So you shouldn't be penalized because I think that, I think that stops some people from doing stuff like that because they're like, well, I don't want to start all over from scratch and play a character who's not going to be you know, fitting with the rest of the party. And I, I think that should be something that most game masters should consider for example, if the game master says, okay, we well, have a child now, and, you're, and you go, well, then I'm going to stay in this world now because I have a child, and I'm going to be this child's father, and I'm going to raise him properly. If you're playing your character the way you, that's true to that character, should you be penalized as a player? I think not. I think you should be rewarded. It's, this guy's going to make up a whole new character. I'm going to give him some extra points and, and make sure that he's on par with the rest of the characters because he did what his character should have done. And as a GM, you now have a future storyline where he shows up in Ida and says, you got to help me. They got my wife and child. Just thinking that that character is now going to make an awesome NPC because it's the, the other characters all know him. This is not somebody that the GM has brought in and said, okay, so you've heard of this guy and he's kind of like this. This is somebody you've played side by side as part of your party. When he comes in and uh, and the, the guy that actually used to play him goes, well, who is this dude? All of the other players are going to be like, oh, my God, he helped us with the, you know, the aliens that look like grasshoppers. And, oh, my, we can't we have to go help him. And, and plus, yeah. they're going to respect him as a stand up guy because he did the right thing. You know, he was that guy. He was that guy that did the right thing. Yeah. Well, some of them might. But some of the <laughs> some of the characters might also feel that he was a traitor because he left his duties behind in order to, you know, he abandoned the mission for his own personal purposes. Wow. So that could bring out some really interesting conflict too. Oh yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There'd be a few people thinking, okay, yeah, he's staying behind for his wife. Right. No, he's staying behind to form a low empire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are out there. They'll think, cause they were thinking that I could stay here and, be a god to these people, you know? I think we had, did episode of that one too, didn't we, Bruce? Absolutely. And yeah. Every single one of you guys thought that was a bad idea, no matter how much I tried to push it. <laughs> well, you know what, Bruce? That was our episode on religion. Yeah. That is one of our highest rated episodes. That's one of our most downloaded episodes. 
<laughs> well, it was a good episode, so okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel upset that I wasn't part of that one. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> well, Jess, is there any question that you would want us to talk about in this area or even anything else having to do with the games that we do? No, not at all. I think we've had a really good run and yeah. covered a lot of really interesting topics. This, this was really fun. Thank you, guys. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Jess. We really respect your, you know, what you've contributed to the uh, RPG scene, and you've been a great guest. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Come and visit me on my website if you get a chance. Oh, yeah, Do you mind if I plug it? Yeah, no, go ahead. Please, please. Okay, yeah. awesome. It's www.jesshartley.com, and it's the site of my... Um, well, the archived copies, at least, of my blog, One Geek to Another, which is a geek etiquette blog, as well as talking about the gaming industry. Excellent. And we could always use more of that. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> can't we all? Can't we all? Thank you guys for having me on. Well, thanks again, Jess Harley, for coming on to our show and being so illuminating onto various topics. We really respect what you brought to us and it really gave us a lot to think about. And we hope that you out there who are listening to our podcast has gotten a lot out of this also. If this has caused you to think about leaving any comments for us, please feel free to go to www.tritaggamers.com or leave a comment on our website for our podcast, uh, which is www.tritagsystems.podbean.com. Or our Yahoo groups or anywhere else, especially our Facebook page, because we'd love to hear you. And while you're at it, please go on over to iTunes and give us a review because we love getting reviews on iTunes. But if you do nothing else but enjoy our games, then we love you and we hope to see you again next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.